Well, hey everyone, good morning, and welcome to Resurrection City Church. <clears throat> My name is Joel, I'm one of the pastors here at Res City, if you're joining us uh, for the first time, uh, whether here in person or online, we're just very thankful to have you uh, with us uh, worshiping and, uh, and, and celebrating, like uh, Krista talked about earlier, kind of celebrating the uh, continuation uh, of Easter. I know for me it's been, uh, it's been fun to try to sit in that a little bit more this year, I think, than I normally do, um, and really just kind of think of it as more than just kind of one day a year, we, we get excited, we dress in bright pastel colors and have flowers and stuff. And it's actually kind of a season that we find ourselves in celebrating uh, that God has done something. He has responded to the pain uh, and evil in the world um, by raising his, uh, giving his son to die on the cross and rising again uh, in new life for us that we may uh, walk in and uh, one day experience ourselves. So anyway, we are going to return though back to our uh, series that we had been in um, previous uh, to this, our, our series of, of He Refreshes My Soul, kind of walking with the shepherd uh, through different aspects of our lives and how to do that in a way that kind of leads us to wholeness, like we find in uh, Psalm 23. I'm going to pray, and then we will hop into that today. Lord, thank you for being with us um, in your Son, for, for dying, for rising again, um, and walking with us throughout life, God. Um, Easter is a celebration uh, that you have come, that you have conquered death, um, that you have made a way to life for us. Um, but now, Lord, we, as we sort of walk out of the Easter season or walk, walk through it, God, but out of the celebration of Easter and we kind of back into our normal lives, um, that we, uh, we, we do have to walk through those. We do have to have wisdom as we do that. And so be with us this morning as we talk about one of those aspects of how we walk in this world uh, we pray this morning that your spirit would be with us as we uh, study your word and uh, kind of ask what it means for us in our lives, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So like I said, today we are going to be kind of continuing this series and talking about a certain aspect of what it looks like to walk with the shepherd. And I want to talk about what it looks like for us to walk with the shepherd in our work or our vocation. Um, you all have some vocation. You all have some something you're doing that you put yourselves to, like during the week. It could be working a job. It could be parenting. It could be as a student. Whatever it is, you have some vocation, some calling in the in the in the the, the time you're in. And this is you know not for us, just like something we do for forty plus hours out of our week. That kind of, you know, we separate that time out, we just put ourselves towards it, and then, you know, once we're done with it, we kind of have this uh, iron curtain between our spiritual life and that. That's not how it should work. Um, Abraham Kuyper is a famous, uh, I think he's a Dutch theologian, and he has this quote that you might have heard before, it's very famous. Um, he says, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not exclaim, mine. And that includes every part of our life, including what we do with the majority of our time, which is our work or our vocation. Um, and so we're going to talk about that today, because that's more time than you spend really doing uh, anything else. Um, and so anyway, this sermon will be a little more practical, a little more teachy, I think, um, less preachy. Um, and, and you know, if you want proof of that, we're going to start out with some survey results. 
if that sounds exciting to you. I know for some people, this probably is super exciting. Um, but I did a, you might have noticed in the weekly email for a couple weeks, uh, we had a survey running, just kind of asking people to fill out information, kind of help us, help me kind of prepare for the sermon, help us as leadership kind of understand, like, where are people at and how can we kind of care for people in their work? Um, and so I want to share some of those results today throughout the sermon to kind of give you a picture of who we are at Res City, kind of what are some of the issues people are dealing with. And I thought I'd start, and you might enjoy seeing this, like, what, what do we do? Like, what are some of the top vocations at Res City, okay? Like, who, who are we as a church and sort of some of the things that we uh, do? Um, so here we go. We'll start off with what type of vocation are you in? Now, we only had 23 responses, so that's not even uh, half the people who go to Res City, but it's still a good, a good sample, I think, of like what kind of makes up Res City and the stuff that we do as a church uh, when we're not here or gathered in our community groups. Um, so about 22% of people are in education of some kind, a lot of teachers, a lot of people who work in education in some way. 17% are healthcare. Um, and I'm combining a couple of, I kind of separated healthcare into two, but I'm combining it here for that number, 17%, um, split between like, you know, medical uh, in some way, being a doctor, nurse, PT, and then also on the other side, kind of my, maybe therapy, social work, kind of caring for people, you know, medically in that way. Um, 13% are in some corporate or business setting, uh, 9% are, are parenting or nonprofit or uh, in tech in some way. About 4% are skilled trades, uh, art and design, public work, communication, uh, or unemployed. Um, so anyway, it's kind of a small sample, um, but these are generally the things that we, Res City, are doing as we walk with the shepherd. So as we talk about work and following the shepherd, I think it's important for us to kind of have a good starting point. Okay, I think we have to understand like what is the purpose of the time that we spend in these spaces we just talked about. We kind of have to have a good starting point. So during the pandemic and, and kind of the lockdown phase of that, when it was like, you can't leave your house and you really couldn't be around people, Julie and I were trying to be creative and find ways to connect uh, with people, uh, like our family, who live very far away and we weren't going to be able to do trips to see them. Um, and so we ended up, uh, one of the things we did was we, because we couldn't see our nieces who live out in Green Bay, is we started hanging out with them on Zoom, and we would write Disney trivia questions to ask our, our nieces. Um, and we would kind of split them. We have two older girls. They'd split into two teams with their mom and dad. Um, and one of the questions that we asked was from The Little Mermaid. So I'm going to ask you all this and see if you guys know it, okay? What does Ariel find in a shipwreck that Scuttle the Seagull tells her is a dinglehopper? A fork, yes, good job. I was going to give you a hint, but you guys didn't even need it, so good job. Um, yes, it is a fork, um, and, and for some reason, that has always kind of like stuck in my brain um, as like, a, it's one of the only things I remember about that movie, if I'm being honest. I can't tell you why, why that is, um, but I, I think it's kind of a memorable kind of scene about like how, you know, you, you know uh, like you could use a fork to comb your hair, I've never tried it, but I, theoretically, I'm like, I can see how this could maybe work. But it would be better probably to use that fork how it was intended to be used by its maker. I think there's kind of a profound truth there for us, is like understanding like what something is made for will help you understand how it should be, uh, continue to be used. There's a quote from the book Every Good Endeavor by Tim Keller where he talks about our work and vocation a little bit like this. 
So the Latin word vocare, which means to call, is at the root of our common word vocation. Today the word often simply means a job, but that was not the original sense. A job is a vocation only if someone else calls you to it and you do it for them rather than for yourself. And so our work can be a calling only if it is reimagined as a mission of service to something beyond merely our own interests. That might reframe how you think about work and maybe even think about yourself and how you decide what you want to put yourself towards in your vocation. Okay? You can work for yourself, but Scripture actually, we're going to dig into this here in a second, tells us what we've been called to in our work by God. And if we don't start there, we're kind of like a seagull trying to give meaning to a fork. All right? It'd be better to figure out exactly what we've been made for in our work than to try to figure out on our own. And Genesis uh, 1, 26 to 28, uh, gives us a bit of a picture of that. Okay, so um, I'll read Genesis 1, 26 to 27. I'll read those, and then I think just 28 is on the screen. Uh, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So here, um, sorry, I got that backwards for some reason. Um, So here, God gives what theologians call uh, the cultural mandate which is kind of just a manifesto or description of what humans are supposed to do in the world. It's kind of laid out here right at the very beginning when God has uh, placed Adam and Eve in the garden. He's kind of explaining, this is what you humans are. This is what it looks like to be human. And it starts with us imaging God, being made in his image, is not just you know, a descriptor of us, but it is sort of a call for what we're supposed to do in the world. It means we're supposed to be like God in our relation to the world around us, to reflect him, his nature, and his wisdom out into all the world. Now, creations, the creation story, if you've read up to this point in, in early in Genesis 1, it shows a world that needs to be kind of tamed, Right? It needs to have order put in it. Things set up like uh, order between the land and the sea, like between the day and the night. And God is the one who comes along, takes the raw sort of uh, material of creation and puts limits on it and order to it. And so to be his people is to join him in that because people can't survive, uh, let alone flourish, without bringing creation into some kind of order. And that's where this next part comes in, where it talks about being fruitful and increasing in number. Now, often we take that to mean uh, procreation in marriage, right? Creating, creating more humans to fill the earth. And obviously, that, that's part of it, right? That's clearly what, what's going on here. But that's not the only way to think about what it means for us to be fruitful and multiply in the earth. Because consider, uh, multiplying or increasing in number uh, requires that conditions are created where life actually can flourish and life and chaos are not the no, uh, uh, sorry death and chaos are not the norm kind of making it difficult for fruit being being fruitful multiplying can happen because you can't increase in bad conditions it's not possible for that to happen and the word subdue here in the actual hebrew is it can be translated sometimes in other places like enslave or subjugate. Okay, it's kind of like strong language for bringing something to heal, something kind of wild and untamed that needs to be brought into line in some way. 
And I think that this is referring to, pretty clearly, the unruly parts of creation, right? It's chaos bringing into order like God has done in the creation story so far. We as humans, we're supposed to do that now as well, to create a system where uh, being fruitful and multiplying can take place. I don't know if any of you ever watched the show uh, Man vs. Wild, Bear Grylls. I don't know if that show is even still on. I remember, I think it was in college when that was like really popular. But it's a show about a guy named Bear Grylls, right? And he, he will like drop from a helicopter into some crazy environment and try to survive, right? Show you what it was, if in case you ever found yourself in that situation, what it would be like to live in that. Um, pretty unhelpful, actually, if you think about it. But okay, you know, imagine you dropped Bear Grylls and his wife into the desert or the Arctic or the middle of the Amazon jungle, like in one of these episodes, right? If you watch him, like he's just hanging on, right? He's not being fruitful and multiplying in those spaces. He is just kind of like making it work until the helicopter comes, picks him up at the end of the episode. That's really all that's happening in this very chaotic environment, that's kind of what's happening here with, with Adam and Eve, right? They're, they're being placed into an environment that does need to be tamed. It's not like a Disney movie where they start singing and the animals that God has created come and help them clean and bring them food and different things, right? They have to bring everything into some order. And this is why humans need to subdue the sometimes chaotic environments that we live in and make the conditions suitable for increasing in number, so imagine, yeah, you do drop Bear Grylls and his wife into this right, chaotic environment. You know, whatever, picture it, the Arctic, the Amazon, whatever. What would actually need to happen for them and any other people who come along to be fruitful and multiply? It can't be from them going around eating you know, berry, berries out of bear poop, like you know, Bear Grylls is often doing to survive, right? They need to do things like build shelter, well, in order to do that, you need people who are, you know, able to build shelters, construction workers, architects, electricians, people who have the ability to create shelter that is suitable for human flourishing. You need people to grow and hunt food. You need people to deliver that food to others. You need someone to care for those in need of medical attention. You need people to educate the children who do come along now in this environment that is finally suitable for, for creating more humans. Um, you need people to uh, educate them so that they can join in the fun. They can grow up in it themselves and become part of this, uh, th this thing that's going on. You need some system to ensure justice and protection, to you know, resolve conflicts between people uh, as they arise, fair rules. You need logistics and technology to make all this stuff possible. Uh, you need people to inspire us, to kind of stir beauty within us, people like artists and writers. And then you need you know, people to sort of help us make sense of what is our purpose here? What's the meaning? How do we like, think through like, different situations as they arise? People like ethicists or uh, philosophers or theologians, people that kind of help us make sense of what we're actually doing here. Now, what I'm describing here is a society and the jobs or the vocations within it in order to make it be fruitful and multiply. Okay, I'm describing what we as humans have done now as we sort of have lived within this world that God has put us in. And to fulfill this cultural mandate, we need to work. We need to be a part of that process that God himself does in Genesis 1 in all our sort of varied roles and different ways that we can contribute to that. To image God is to work, and to work is to image God. And because of this, your work is good. 
I think it's good for us to hear that, for us to be reminded of that, because we probably don't always feel like that's the case oftentimes. And I do want to dig into that a little bit today, okay? Even after the fall, right? This is before the fall. So maybe you think, well, this whole project that God had started, it just gets derailed a couple chapters later in Genesis, right? When, when the serpent comes along and, and they eat of the fruit, right? Maybe you think then, ah, yeah, that's, that's when it stops. Now work is just bad. I would say, no, that project is still going on. It's just now we are engaging in the redemption of that along with God. That's what the gospel is about. We as Christ followers engage in sort of the redeeming of the world around us. And our work is one way that we contribute to that. It's not the only way, but it is certainly one way that we do. And this even includes the jobs we typically don't assign value to in our society. I think it's good for us to think about the ways in which all jobs have some dignity because of this. Every vocation has dignity because it all is part of this common flourishing. Now again, obviously maybe you can think of a few vocations that don't add to it in some way, but even the things that we might uh, you know, not include in the top of our mind is like something really important in society, it really does fit into that. I had to wrestle with this. Uh, I, I, you know, I've had some jobs that I had a harder time kind of putting dignity in. One of the hardest ones was when I worked as a janitor, actually. Okay? Uh, I can speak from experience here. This is a job you feel like, like nobody notices it. The only time you do get noticed, actually, is when something's not clean. And you get a phone call, and it's like, hey, why is this bathroom not been cleaned or something? That's the only time you get noticed in a job like that. Okay? You know nobody is walking into a building thankful that it's super clean and you know their mind they look around at the room and they think this is so clean someone must have poured poured multiple hours into cleaning this space out if you have ever walked into a building and thinking that i applaud you for that okay i'm gonna guess you probably don't normally do that when you when you think about it okay they notice when it's not clean okay but think about think about this okay that's kind of actually the point so i cleaned in a church one of the things I would tell myself is, if this place is dirty, if I don't do my job, now this becomes a distraction for people. Because they, when they come into this space, they want to be able to worship God. They want to be able to focus on God. They don't want to notice that the trash hasn't been taken out. They don't want to you know, realize that there are crumbs everywhere. Clearly someone come and clean this space out. I feel kind of dirty in this space right now. Now I can't worship God. Now I can't put myself towards the purpose that this building has. I'm distracted from it. I can't engage in it fully. And so I would try to you know, retrofit my frustrations with that um, that I come across sometimes when I would clean into thinking like, well, this might be a good thing. Maybe there's some good purpose to this. So for example, uh, a lot of spilled coffee or this one I never understood. I would pull a bag of garbage out of a garbage and I would, the coffee would spill everywhere because someone had put a full cup of coffee into the garbage. Like, they'd taken the time to gingerly set a full cup of coffee into the garbage can so that it would not spill everywhere. And I was like, what? What, what goes through your mind when you think to do that? What do you think happens? Do you think the coffee just disappears in the garbage? No, obviously not. So I had to clean up extra spills because of stuff like that. Or I would get into the garbage can. and so. But I, I, I would be, get really frustrated when stuff like this would happen. 
I found myself having to reframe it and think to myself, well, what happened if this person forgot about their coffee because they were so, they were so into the worship that was going on? Or maybe they, had some, they were talking to some friend they hadn't seen in a while and they were so excited to talk with them that they completely forgot about their coffee. Or maybe the reason it got spilled everywhere is because, again, they, were not, they forgot it was there because they were so into what was happening in the building that they forgot about it and they accidentally kicked it and knocked it over. I would call that a win, actually. That's a good thing. That's what this building is designed for. And me having to sort of, you know, come along and, and, and manage through that is not a bad thing. And if I, you know, get that cleaned up the next week, someone else can come along and have hopefully the same experience. Okay? We have to be careful not to assign to some jobs a higher dignity than others, whether it's ours and we're annoyed with it, or someone else's and we maybe look down on them. Okay? Just because like everyone was coming and they were noticing the people on stage at church didn't mean my role as janitor, something that wasn't even taking place while people were there, and again, was completely unnoticed if I was doing my job well, wasn't actually super important to what was going on in the building. Because like I said, who's going to listen to the preacher or listen to the worship if they are just thinking about how dirty everything is around them? Right? It's all part of the same goal, and every job is contributing in some way to the larger call to create environments of, of flourishing and, and being fruitful and increasing in number. Work, all work is good. It's from God, which means that we need to be intentional in how we walk with the shepherd in it. Now, I know from this survey that like, uh, you know, uh, the people don't always have the same joy about their job. And that's very understandable. Okay, I want to show you a couple of results here. Um, I, I asked a question about, have you thought about changing jobs or have you changed jobs in the last couple years? Okay, and here were the results from that. So um, about 26% of responders said they had not thought about it at all in the last two years. Like they, you, you have a lot of job satisfaction, have a lot of joy in their job, a lot of, I don't know, vision for what they're doing that gets them you know, excited in the morning when they get up. 17% they had thought about it a little bit, but that's it. They hadn't really done anything about it. Okay, but 56% of people, over half of people, said they either have thought about it a lot or they have recently moved jobs, meaning there was some frustration with their job in some way. And some of the top reasons for that were struggles with uh, culture of the workplace or with their coworkers, uh, with overwork, feeling burnt out, um, or maybe feeling some sort of uh, pressure to perform in some way. That's kind of my summation of some of these results. All right? Now, I want to offer some encouragement to you all if you're feeling this right now. Okay? I kind of want that to be like what the rest of the sermon about is, kind of speaking directly to some of these things so that you can walk in your vocation with the shepherd. And I want to use this verse from Galatians, or these two verses from Galatians 6, uh, verses 9 to 10, as sort of our basis, okay? Kind of like our, our setting out, like how we should be thinking about our work, even when it's tough in some way. I want us to start here, and we'll kind of unpack this and kind of go through, you know, use this as our jumping off point for the rest of the sermon here. So Paul says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So let's let this verse be our basis. You are allowed, okay, I'm going to give you permission to be weary of your work and to be weary of the people that you have to deal with sometimes, okay? You have permission to do that. But I want to encourage you and challenge you to not grow weary of doing good in your work 
even if you feel that frustration in some way, okay? So let's unpack that a little bit more, okay? For, I'm going to talk about for when you struggle with your coworkers or your work environment. It's true that sometimes workplaces and coworkers can be really tough to deal with. Sometimes it can be even more than that. They can be harm, harmful being around them, right? There are even some extreme examples where it's abusive to be around them in some way, Okay? And in those situations, it's, it's good to, you know, the good thing is probably to remove yourself from it, to not en enable them in some way, okay? But um, we can't, but if, you know, and except in those extreme examples, I think it, we can't allow our frustration to make us forget that the, the, the you know, our vocation uh, and the way that doing good in that is part of God's call for us. I had a conversation with someone a while back, this person doesn't go to Red City, um, and uh, we were talking, it was kind of a larger like, uh, discussion kind of with a large group of people about the idea that God's ultimate goal is to restore creation. Um, that's the ultimately, resurrection's about that, the restoration of these things that have been created, even, even to the point of our bodies being restored. That's the ultimate goal that God has. And our work now is to also be redemptive towards creation like Jesus has been. This guy was frustrated by that. He kind of didn't really like that idea in the moment that he was in. And his job was in some, some corporate setting, and he really struggled with what he saw as a lot of selfishness, just the whole industry. He was really upset with it. He didn't like it. And he actually said to me, like, and again, he was saying this, I think, in a moment of real frustration, um, that he wanted to see it all burn. He did not want to see God redeem this setting because it was so bad in his mind that it needed to just be done away with completely. Now, it, you know, the idea of God restoring things wasn't good news to him in that moment, right? That, you know, the good news of the gospel to him would be God, you know, just cutting it off from the face of the earth. Now, yes, I just want to be clear, venting your frustration uh, with the world and wanting God to do something about, you know, the wrongness of the world, to, uh, that's good. That's a normal thing to feel, and the Psalms cry for that often. But also, God, whose image that we're made in, is a redeeming God. And so to image him, we're to also be redeemers so far as we can. And that means for us to figure out what does it look like for us to do good, even when we're frustrated. What does it look like for us to do good wherever God has us? And Jesus calls us to love our neighbors. So the most, you know, very one of the most famous things he says in all of his ministry. Guess what? Your coworkers are also your neighbors. Okay? Even if they drive you bonkers, they're still your neighbors, and we're still called to love them, to do good towards them. And as much as we might want to be Jim to the Dwights in our world, right, as much as we applaud Jim for kind of sticking it to Dwight, uh, you know, we have to, we, we have to uh, not view our coworkers with disdain, but we have to show them love. We have to redeem those situations as much as we can, redeem those relationships as much as we can, All right? Uh, so our number one job, do good to our customers, to our clients, and also to our coworkers. All right, what about when you're feeling burned out in some way? What if you're feeling, uh, you know, like you just are, are overworked, right? There's too much going on that you cannot sort of keep up with all of it. Now, obviously, uh, we've been talking about this in the series, you should Sabbath, <laughs> right? We've been talking about a lot about resting and resisting hurry, um, and I mean real Sabbath here. I don't mean cheap days off where you just are, you know, empty calories the whole time watching Netflix. I mean a real Sabbath in the way that Aaron talked about and that we've kind of uh, unpacked in other ways in this series. That's for granted. 
Okay, but, but further, I want to talk about this a little bit more. And I want to use actually a letter uh, that a, a, a famous theologian, a guy named Augustine, who was a North African bishop in the 300s and 400s, wrote to uh, a guy named Boniface. Now, Boniface is a, he, or he was, a Roman general and governor. He's actually a count, which I think is a really cool title. Um, he was a count of Africa, of a region of Africa, in the time Augustine was uh, the bishop there. And so in the letter, so much as we can tell from the context of this, at least, we only have Augustine's letter to Boniface. We don't have Boniface's letter to Augustine. Um, it, it seems like Boniface is kind of lost. There's a lot going on. His wife had recently died, and he was uh, really going through it. That was a big part of his uh, issues. But he also seems like he had some issues with the people he was working with, as part of his job, we're not sure what that was, kind of some of the people he came into contact with in his role as a, as a general and as a governor. And he expressed to Augustine, because of his frustration, kind of feeling burnt out to the point where he actually wanted to just quit. He had thrown out the idea of maybe him uh, retiring to a monastery and devoting himself to a holy leisure. That's like actually what, he, what Augustine said he had kind of come to him. And apparently, from what we can tell from Augustine, is writing him, uh, Boniface was increasingly playing the game, the kind of like uh, seeking out of ambition, uh, jockeying for power in some ways, is trying to climb the social ladder, a very cynical way for him to view his duties as governor, to really just seek to use it to kind of build his own profile, to build his pleasure. Um, he had, in, got, had a new, just totally political marriage, uh, it seems like, and, he, and Augustine calls him out for sleeping around with, with concubines. And Augustine, again, challenges him and says, not really doing his job very well. That's one of the things he calls him out for, not doing his job as a general and as a governor very well. Now, when we're burnt out, we can, uh, it can lead us to make bad decisions, to make you know, cynical decisions, to not really focus on doing what we might be called to do in our vocation, and, and you know, to not think much about it, to, to fail to focus on and really to, uh, imaging God in our work. Now, Augustine starts out by reminding him, first and foremost, in the greeting uh, of who he is. And I think this is important because it reframes who Boniface is in the midst of his work. His identity is marked by the shepherd that we've been talking about in this series. So Augustine says he is part of, quote, the world with which resurrection has invited us. A different way to view the world. A, a world that needs to be redeemed through the work that we do in it. And as such, Boniface is one who is to do good. And Augustine says this in many different ways throughout the letter. To do good or, or to contribute to the common good. That's how one uh, Augustinian scholar who was reading about this kind of uh, said. Okay? And that's who we are first and foremost in our work. People who are part of the world that resurrection has invited us to be in and people who, because of that, are called to do good in our work. And Augustine speaks to him throughout the letter in terms of his duty to this higher calling in his work. So he should remain on his count uh, in Africa, focusing on caring for those he governs so that people would be safe from some hostile forces that are kind of like operating in Africa at the time, uh, and that uh, one of the, uh, Boniface's main jobs is to not keep at bay so the other population of, uh, 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 in North Africa can, can remain safe. His job is to remember to care for other people. Ultimately, that's what his job is, Augustine says, is to care for other people. Make that the focus of what you do. Don't lose sight of that. 
Because that's why this role exists. Augustine tells them, if you do your job, that means that, for example, I, me, Augustine, I can do my job. People will be safe to worship, to come to church, to be able to worship God. And I have the freedom to lead people in that, to guide people in that, to shepherd people into that well, without us having to, you know, uh, fear that we can't do that because we're going to be on the run from these hostile forces. Now, notice too, I think this is also really interesting. Augustine doesn't play off his role as bishop, as a pastor, as somehow more spiritual or more important or on a different level than Boniface's work. I think that's really interesting. It's really profound, right? Work that is somehow, quote-unquote, spiritual, I think sometimes we can assign more value to it, when in reality, all the work we do contributes together to helping uh, the gospel spread, to helping uh, uh, God's purposes for, be, for being fruitful, multiplying in the world uh, to happen. Again, all work has dignity. I just thought that was really interesting as I was reading through that. Now, how is Boniface supposed to practically manage all of these problems that he's having? What are kind of Augustine's uh, practical steps for him to do this well? Well, here are some of the things he says throughout the letter. He says, to seek God out and see if some of your behaviors... Uh, some of the wings that maybe we don't know about, some of the things we did talk about a little bit, are justified. So he says, take some silence and solitude. Spend some time with God. He calls him to confess and repent uh, when he feels convicted. He tells him to pray, to let God to change his heart uh, because some of his being burnt out, in Augustine's opinion, is because of some impure desires, some, some maybe wrong desires that he has that are missing the point, and him seeking those things out are actually part of what's making him feel really burnt out. It's not actually the good work that he's doing, it's actually some of the things that he's chasing after that Augustine would challenge him to, to, to ask himself, should I be chasing after these things? Those are, are what are burning him out. And he even tells him to fast. Now, these sure sound to me like a lot of the things that we have been talking about in this series, right? A lot of the practices, the disciplines that we have talked about in walking with the shepherd, okay? And so I want to talk a little bit about some of the ways that we can uh, do some of these things in our own work. Now, the practices that we have discussed so far in this series, uh, eliminating hurry, Sabbath, processing emotion and trauma, uh, character and virtue development, silence and solitude, prayer, Scripture meditation, uh, wise uh, media and technology engagement, fasting, and simplicity. Now, I know people are kind of struggling with some of the same things that we talked about in this uh, Boniface letter. Uh, pressure to perform, higher realistic, uh, unrealistic expectations or overwork, frustration with people you work with, maybe your employers, as a result of that. Now, I know some of these things you don't have control over. Okay, I get that. Um, but I think these practices are designed to restore you when you do feel burnt out, when you do feel frustrated. They will center you so that you can be set apart to do good in your work so much as you're able to do. And I really think all of these practices in some way can probably be incorporated into your normal work routines. So I actually have talked to some people at Red City and tried to ask, like, what are some examples of ways you practice some of these things in your own work. So I just want to talk through some of those. So if it's silence and solitude, right, I realize that like you might have little control over the, the time you could take to like set aside 10 minutes to pray in your work. Maybe you don't have that opportunity. You don't have control over that. Um, maybe you're a teacher and the last thing you would use to describe your job is silent or having solitude, right? I get that. I know that that's tough. But some of the people I talk to would say, you know, when I don't have that, 
One of the things I've done is I've used my commute to and from work as a space for total silence and processing my work, what I have just done before God. Cutting out all distraction is a sort of little uh, time to process through what just happened in my day before I sort of uh, go into a time of resting that evening. Now, I know some of you don't have a commute anymore because you work from home. So you might have to create a commute in your job. Maybe you, after you finish up work, you know, five o'clock comes, you, you're punching out, go for a walk around the block. Create a commute in your job, some kind of barrier between your work and your actual uh, uh, time at home, right? Go, go for a walk, a run, a workout, something, but have some silence uh, before yourself and God. Or what about, what about Sabbath? Again, maybe you can't control like how much you're working during the week, but you do have control on your off days to sort of try to create uh, hard limits. And so one of the people I talked to, a person who has a, a lot of work in their schedule, it's a very, you know, very busy job, hard rules on the Sabbath. Like let's say it's your, it's your Saturday, that's your Sabbath day. Um, no, no work whatsoever. The temptation will be there. You still get emails on your Sabbath, but tell yourself, I will not respond to these. I will put these in the appropriate time for when they need or when they can be answered, and I will not allow my Sabbath to sort of be encroached upon by this. Or prayer. Uh, One doctor I talked to told me that she prays before every visit that she has. That'll be very difficult. Just even in the time that uh, they kind of sanitizing your hands before you go into the office, take some time to pray before what might be a really difficult thing. Another person told me that she prays through her work calendar every morning. She looks at what she has on her schedule and she puts it before God in prayer, asking God to bless it, to be with her as she walks through it. Maybe it's fasting, okay? And it could be fasting in, in some other way. Picking, one person told me she picks an attitude or practice at work, something that like, is, a, is a normal, common thing, like complaining about your, your employer or your coworkers or your job, right? And just fasting from it, decreasing your reliance on that thing as a way to cope with your work or as a way to fit in with the people you work with. Right, that common, common thing of we all get together and complain about something commonly together and then you find yourself being like, man, I complain a lot. Fasting from it completely, even if it dampens your ability to connect with peers. Um, okay? just so, or you could do just a regular fast, like we talked about. Right, Some serious, sacred moment in your work is difficult. Take a fast from that. Uh, technology or media consumption. Uh, turning off email notifications, if you, if you have the ability to do that, and saying, I'm not just going to respond to every email whenever it comes in, or I'm not going to allow myself to see that email when it comes in and just be thinking about it, and then just not being able to do any other work. Just saying, if you have the opportunity to do this, like every day at 10 a.m., that's when I answer my emails, I work through them. And if I don't get to them then, I'll get to them tomorrow. Okay? If you have the ability to do that, I think that's a really helpful way to not allow yourself to be constantly a kind of a slave, really, of the push notifications of your email inbox. Um, processing emotion and trauma. This can mean talking with friends or, or even a therapist maybe about some work experiences. And one person told me she needed to really talk about some uh, work experiences from early on in her career because that really set you know, a, a lot of the, the things that impacted her work now as she has gotten further into her career. Well, a lot of, you know, processing through what happened early on in jobs. What were some of the, the, the fears or, you know, maybe trauma is a strong word, but some of the things that happened early on that have shaped some of my uh, practices or my desires or my thoughts in my work now as I've continued on in that. Working through it with somebody. 
uh, knowing that they might affect you. In all these things, again, to return to Galatians and Augustine and Boniface, I want to state the point clearly again here, okay? A lot of things are outside of our control. But when you're feeling burned out or angry with coworkers or with your employer, something simple that you can set yourself to and focus on and make your kind of north star is to do good. Make that your mantra. Because that's what we've been created to do as humans is to do good, to seek that out. And adopting, I think, the practices from this series will help you to stay focused on that main duty. Augustine says in the letter, For earthly goods will perish, but good works, even those good works which are performed by means of the perishable good things of this world, shall never perish. The stuff that we do in our jobs, uh, those things matter. They have impact on people, the things that we produce. But they don't have the sort of ultimate significance that doing good does. That's what Augustine is saying here. Okay? The, ultimately, the thing that we are called to do is to do good. And that work is bigger and lasts longer than any of the, you know, the things we might be focusing on in any given moment. And so we should prioritize that. We should set ourselves to do that as much as we possibly can, especially when things are tough, especially when it's really hard to do good. We should devote ourselves to people who do good in our work. You may not be able to always keep up with all the hard demands and all the unrealistic expectations. A lot of the stuff might be out of your control, but you can control your desire to do good. Don't grow weary of doing good because working to do good is something that will not burn you out. Okay? You might be tired from doing good, but will not wreck you in the way that working towards other things can burn us out. So ask yourself, what is good? How can I prioritize it? Pray on that. Seek out your own motives and things. Uh, Use the practices in this series. Actually become masters of them in your work so you can be people who do good, who image God in the world and are redeemers of what's going on around us. And ultimately, as people who are attractive, right? As you do good, people will notice that. And they ask, how do you commit yourself to this? Why do you care about doing this good? It's an opportunity for you to reflect Jesus to your co-workers, to be attractive, to be redeemers like the one in whose image that we have been made and are being remade now because of the gospel. Because that's our call. So I'm going to pray here in a second. We'll enter a time of worship uh, and communion and prayer. Um, And as you take communion, maybe just ask yourself, like, what are some pressures I feel in my work right now? Are there, you know, spaces in which I need to recommit myself to doing good or reprioritize uh, doing good? Um, And as you do that, focus on the one whose body was broken and his blood was shed for us so that we might be uh, remade and redeemed back into the image of God and be people who uh, take part in God's project of redeeming uh, the world around us, of doing holy work uh, in our work. Um, If you need prayer, for that. We're going to have prayer in the back. Um, I would really like exhort you, if you are feeling some pressure with work, some frustration with work, seek out prayer for it. We have people who pray every single week in the back of the sanctuary uh, for, for, for anyone who needs it. Ted will be in the back today doing that. Uh, bring it up to your community group. Uh, go to friends, like uh, maybe here at church or, or people you know, and ask them, you know, ask them to pray for you. Ask them for wisdom of what it looks like for me to do good, to engage in this vocation that we've been called to uh, by God. Because it matters. It's important. Your work is good, and it matters that we seek out uh, to image God well in it. Let's pray.
Lord, thank you that you have created us to, to engage in the work uh, of, of, of caring well for creation, of bringing into order the chaos of the world around us so that we as a human species might be fruitful, we might increase in number in the world, God. Thank you that we get to join in that project with you. And even though there is now sin that corrupts and infects everything that our hands touch, uh, we get to now contribute to that by being redeemers of that original purpose that you've given us as we follow Jesus, as we live the gospel out around us. I pray that we would be people who have wisdom to know what that looks like in our work, um, that you would uh, help us to uh, have joy as we set ourselves to work uh, every day, um, and that you would, uh, you would help us to redeem those moments, to do people who, who are known for doing good in our workplaces because we follow Jesus, we walk with the shepherd. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.